As we come to study God's word, let us first have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we count it a great privilege that we can meet in freedom this morning to study your word together. And we thank you that we have the full scriptures in front of us. Lord, may we never take this for granted, but always be grateful to you that we have this privilege of your word in front of us. And Lord, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to the word that is going to be spoken. And we particularly pray for Claire, that you would lead her in all that she says, that we might understand this word that you've brought to us through her, and that we might be enriched by it and fed by it. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the passage of Scripture that Claire is going to bring to us is taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians, and uh, the particular reading is from chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me um, and my slight little addiction. I'm addicted to um, Netflix. Now, if you don't know what Netflix is, it's like what the video store used to be. You go on the TV and you choose your film or you choose your series or you can just watch it and you don't even have to go out in the snow to rent it out. Um, it's a good thing to have. And recently on Netflix, what has come out is this, um, this series called The Crown. 
um, which is very good. And it's about um, when uh, Queen Elizabeth II came to the throne um, and talks through the journey she went with her father um, and then what has happened since. I got through that series very quickly um, and I'm, I'm disappointed because I have to wait a year for the next bit. But it helps me to understand. Um, and, it, and it helps me to think about what it means to be a sovereign. And that question is asked in that series, what does it mean to be a sovereign, particularly in a, in a parliamentary democracy? Um, what authority do they have? Um, does she have the right to tell Winston Churchill that he's getting too old and he needs to step down because he's focusing on the wrong things? What right, um, what right does she have? And they discover she doesn't really have much, and we know that, really. Um, I've also watched recently um, The King's Speech, and The King's Speech is the story of George, King George VI, so that's right, isn't it? Um, and um, I always get my numbers wrong at the end. And um, how um, he becomes an unexpected king because his brother abdicates, and he wor- has to work on his stammer for his speeches. He t- has a lot of hard work to overcome his stammer because with his stammer, he wouldn't be able to speak with authority. And in the war, he had to lead with confidence and a voice of authority. Our expectations of what a king or queen should be like can be quite interesting. And we talked about a few of them earlier. Now, I don't normally follow the church calendar. Um, I normally uh, follow through my own things. But it's interesting when you go to other places to see what is happening um, across churches across the world and what, what kind of things that they are speaking about. And this Sunday in the, in the church calendar is a traditional time for tra- the traditional church to proclaim that Christ is king. It's the end of the church year, the new church year. It begins next week when it's Advent. The beginning of the 20th century, the leaders of the churches were worried that we'd lost the teaching on Christ's sovereignty. And it's been an important part of the church calendar ever since, for those who follow that kind of calendar. Now, sovereignty is really important, isn't it? And um, we've been talking a lot about it lately as a country. And much of the argument around the European referendum was about parliamentary sovereignty. We want to get our sovereignty back, a lot of people were saying. And arguments around the American election have been centred on the role of the Supreme Court and who has authority in that country. Sovereignty is kind of a word for who has the power to make the decisions, who has the right and we can saw that in the reaction, particularly in the newspapers, to when the judges declared that the par- that Parliament, as it says in our Constitution, has sovereignty. But if, those, if Parliament doesn't make the decisions we want, then we don't want them as our sovereign, is what people say. The question of sovereignty is important because whoever is head of the kingdom, whoever is head of the state, whoever is head of the republic, is the one or the ones in whose hands we put our own well-being, as well as the well-being of our country. If our views on what decisions a sovereign can make are challenged, it challenges the very core of our beliefs on the sovereign we follow. 
And what this Sunday reminds us, Christ the King Sunday, is that as Christians, we may live in a country that sees Parliament as sovereign. We may live in a world that looks for powerful and articulate leaders. But actually, as we come to Christ and profess at our baptism that Jesus is Lord, then our allegiance changes. It's not country first. It's not a certain British way first, but it is Christ first. And as followers of Christ, we are citizens of God's kingdom first. But what does that mean? What does that mean to put Christ first? What does that mean to declare Christ as our king? Well, um, in the last week, there has been an article in the newspaper. can't remember which one. Um, and it was talking, and it got out in the news, Justin Welby, Welby was talking about um, what it meant to be an extremist. And he talked about how he was an extremist by the definition of the people who were talking to him. Because for him, Jesus is Lord first. His faith comes first. So when we're thinking about the sovereignty of Christ, what kind of king is it we're following? When we come to Colossians, um, Colossians is a great book, and the, at the beginning in chapter 1, we, we have this pinnacle of beauty about what it means that Christ is sovereign, what Christ has done. And Paul um, was writing to the church in Colossae, who were a good church, it's a really nice book, because they're obviously getting things well, but he's writing from prison. It was probably in Rome, and it was probably about 62 AD. And the letter centres around combating and challenging the false teaching that's going on, mainly from Greek philosophers who were saying that the angels intercede for us and, and that Christ, um, when he was risen from the dead, became some kind of angelic power and salvation came through knowledge and enlightenment and knowing more. And, and Christ just had an intercedery role to speak between us and God. They believe that knowledge saved. The more you know, the closer you are to God. And there's a danger that that, that happens today, isn't it? That we, that what we rely on is our own knowledge. What we think we know. What we think we know that our King Jesus would do. What we think we know is right. When we concentrate on our own knowledge, we become in danger of moving away from Christ as Lord in our lives. And Paul challenges the false teaching that knowledge saves with one thing, and that one thing only. He declares the person and work of Christ. He doesn't say you need to know more. He says, this is Christ, no more of Christ. And he specifically declares Christ as not simply human, but also divine. And he emphasizes supremacy and his uniqueness. Paul is not disappointed with the church in Colossae, but he warns them against being taken in by earthly wisdom as they seek to continue on their Christian journeys. And we need to keep heeding this warning. Let's not get taken in by earthly wisdom. And Paul comes back time and time again to what should centre us as Christians, what unites us, and that is to declare Jesus as Lord. Our problem, though is that we think that we have it sorted. And when you get to the point where you think you have it sorted, that's when you deviate off. We think, I know a bit more about this than the person next to me, so I am better than them. I know 
more about the way this church should go, the way the country should go. We know what we know, and that is it. We're not prepared to be challenged. It's one of the problems with with sharing the good news in our country, in this current climate. There's so many people that to be British is to be Christian. That's changing now, but there are a lot of people still like that. And we focus so much on traditional values based on a cultural Christianity. We miss what real faith is. Christianity becomes about nostalgia and not about relationship. Think what happens when someone says they're going to close a church building. People start going to church because nostalgia matters. If we think we know what it means to be a Christian, we're not prepared to be told we're wrong, are we? The passage begins with not telling the Colossians that they're okay, they've got it sorted, just keep on going, they're fine. Paul tells the Colossians that he is encouraged by what is happening already, but that he continues to pray and keep on praying that they will grow in their knowledge of God. Not simply in knowledge of what it means to to live as a church together, but their knowledge of God, because the, the knowledge of what it means to live as a church together comes from our knowledge of God. And we can, we can look at our churches, can't we, and we can appear successful. Our numbers are all right, and we enjoy coming, we have good music, and we have certain ways of doing that we like. We like things the way they are. And when we think that we're good, when we think we're getting it right, there is the danger that our pride rocks in, and we say we've got it sorted, and there's nothing more to learn. We've got it right, come to our church We've got it right. But we know we haven't, because there are always problems in every church. We can also, because we live in a, in a society where business and, is really important, we can treat church as a bit like a business. And some of us have really good business skills, and we can make a group of people grow. But there comes to a point when, where our reliance on our earthly knowledge leads us away from what is true, leads us away from God we realise that our skills are not enough. And it does appear that the church in Colossae is getting it right, but Paul urges them not to give up learning about God, learning about what it means to be, to be a disciple, learning about thinking through what Jesus might do in a specific situation. Knowledge of God is essential for good living, isn't it? A strong faith requires we recognise the truth. We don't just follow it blindly, we think it through. And we allow it to permeate our whole lives. So there's something good about coming back to this idea of Christ as King. And what matters today is that Jesus is Lord. It matters every day. But at the end of the the traditional church year, to declare Jesus as Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a good thing because it takes us back to to, to what matters most. And if we don't come back to the fact Jesus is Lord, we find ourselves caught up in some kind of version of Christianity that is warped. Um, The American elections have been quite interesting, haven't they? And I think they've showed um, something in the churches that is quite worrying. A number of churches and church leaders were encouraging their congregations to vote a certain way because of certain policies on certain things they disagreed with. And they, they failed to look beyond that. If you read what some of the big church leaders have written, they have looked, not looked beyond a couple, of, a couple of issues. And they've talked down issues of racism and sexism and integrity. 
which need to be challenged, whatever way you vote in the end, those things need to be challenged. And the votes become about single issues. And they forget, they seem to have forgotten Jesus' command to, to love first. And we also mistake that nostalgia for what kingdom is. We, when you think about the European referendum, American elections, a lot of the rhetoric has been, we want our country back to the way it was. We want to make America great again. And we come in focus on that nostalgia, and we too easily link that to Christian values. But we know that God is a God that moves forward, not backwards. I know there are bigger issues around these elections, but when decisions to vote are based on nostalgic Christianity, I worry we've lost sight of the kingdom of God. When we become one-issue Christians, we get so bogged down, we forget to do the things that Paul prays about, to grow in knowledge of God's will and declare Jesus as king. The king we follow, all-powerful, almighty, is not the king we expect him to be. We see that on Palm Sunday, where the emperors would have ridden into Jerusalem on big horses with all the regalia. Jesus mocked that as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. The Jesus we proclaim as Lord isn't about showy stuff. He's about bringing the kingdom of God. And we see Paul begin to describe the kingship of Christ who reigns above and over all. And as we choose to follow Christ, we change kingdoms and we have to put Jesus first because we're no longer lost, we're found. We're no longer citizens of the world, but we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're in some kind of reverse exile. We're being called to our true home, moving from darkness to light. And we learn that every Christmas as we think about Jesus coming to earth as a baby, bringing light into the world. And that incarnation, Jesus being born as human, reveals God's true majesty. This is a majesty that is so huge, that is so big, that is so much more than we can comprehend, that he leaves his royal palace and trappings that a king might have to live among his subjects as one of them. There are no towers where we have to look up. There are no, there's no going up the mountain like the Greek gods because Jesus dwells among us. And as he dwells among us, he shares our troubles, he shares our vulnerability, becoming vulnerable to the attack of his enemies. If we search for where the King Jesus is, we know that he is among the weak and the lowly. His majesty is revealed and hidden as he chooses to share their vulnerability, their guilt and their powerlessness. Not the kind of king we might look for always, but the kind of king who is the saviour of the world. Now, I love Colossians 1, and I love verses 15 to 20. I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. It talks of Christ who is sovereign, and what kind of kingdom we are living in when we live in the kingdom of the Son. This is Christ who is the visible likeness of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. This is Christ who is divine. He is before all creation. All things are created through him, not just the earth or the universe, but all things in heaven too. He didn't create and go away, as it is through him that all things have their proper place. 
He's the agent of creation and preservation. He holds all things together. The world is beautiful and powerful and luscious because through Christ it was made like that. And it is sustained like that. The beauty of the world catches your breath. And we remember that it's like that because of King Jesus. Sometimes we look at the world and we see it is not beautiful like that, don't we? We see death and destruction. We see war and famine and devastation. And that catches our breath in a different way. It brings a sorrow. We get lumps in our throats and the hugeness of the devastation, it hurts. However, that is not the way it is meant to be. This world needs Jesus. It's not the way it's intended because this world needs Jesus. It's intended that God will have first place in all things. And in Jesus, the living God has revealed himself to heal the world of all those things that destroy it. I believe the answer, the ultimate answer to the, current, to the crisis in the world is Jesus. Jesus through whom the world was made is Jesus through whom the world is redeemed. He is the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead. He's the one that created a perfect world and is the one who redeems a fallen world so that we might be made perfect through him. Jesus is the one through whom we discover what it really means to be human. He's the head of the bodies, the head of this church, the head of the worldwide church. Without him, we are nothing. Without acknowledging him as head, we are nothing. He's the beginning of us, and he's the source of us. He's ahead of us, leading the way. And when we're called to follow him, we're called to discover the truth of humanity as a big part of a world created by God to glorify him. As the one who God made peace through, he is the one through which a new creation has begun. Without Jesus, without commitment to live with him, to have him as sovereign over our lives, we only accept second best. In fact, we accept the worst. Christ is the very goal of our existence. And we are made good enough because Christ made us that way. This is Christ, our King. So we need to live in a way that puts God's kingdom first. We need to live in a way that that acknowledges completely that Christ reigns. How do we do that? Well, we're in a Baptist church. And as a Baptist church, the first thing that we confess as Baptists is that the sole and absolute authority in everything is Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, as interpreted within the local church by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the sole and absolute authority in everything is Jesus. Jesus is our head. If we're going to live in a way that proclaims Christ as king, we need to take that seriously. If Christ is our authority, it is in his life, in his teachings, in his example, that we see how we should live. In doing this, we're reminded that we ourselves are not the center of the universe. This church is not the center of the universe. This country is not the center of the universe. We need to recenter ourselves on Christ. Not give up knowing him. Don't give up reading scripture. Don't give up trying to live like him. Don't get distracted by issues the world is bothered about and forget about Christ. We engage with those issues through Christ. And one of the problems with the way we engage with with issues in the world, the way we engage with politics as individuals and churches, is that we are so influenced by what the newspapers and the media say that we align ourselves with worldly worldly views and we forget that our main influence, our one influence on, on what 
the world should be like should be Jesus. We should look at how Jesus lived and ministered to see how we should be speaking into the world. What's happened to the prophetic voice of the church? We get so focused on certain issues that we don't speak out against injustice. Our morals, they should come from Christ first. Not tradition or prejudice or certain Christian teachers because we like what they say. Every Christian teacher will have something we don't like. We've got to discern what's right in the light of Christ. We don't... We we shouldn't be influenced by this whole nostalgia thing and a desire for how things used to be, but we should be influenced by Christ. This is Christ who challenged the stoning of a woman caught in adultery as he looked into the hearts of those doing the accusing. This is Christ who fed those who were hungry with the sharing of five loaves and two fish. This is Christ who calmed the storm so he and his disciples could rest. This is Christ who healed the ear of the guard arresting him. Imagine that. It's crazy. This is Christ who died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. This is Christ who smacked death in the face as he rose again. This is Christ who comes into our lives and makes us new. This is Christ who reconciles us to God, who tells us to love God first, then love our neighbour, who gave his life so that we might live. We're non-conformists. We're dissenters. We should be speaking out against the injustice in our country and in the world. Speaking out against injustice, speaking for the dispossessed and those who have nothing, declaring Christ as head of our lives, not king or country or queen or parliament, is who we're meant to be. To truly live with Christ as head, we need to continue to speak out as our ancestors have, as we declare Jesus as Lord. It means speaking up for those who have been not low. It's speaking up for the refugees, speaking up for the oppressed, speaking up for the abused, speaking up for those caught in poverty, speaking up for those who are oppressed because of their gender, speaking up for all human beings, all races, all cultures, all religions. If Christ is our king, we need to work at it. We need to work at being better disciples, open to the possibility that God will move in ways we don't expect. Things won't stay the same. Where God is, they won't stay the same. They don't have to stay the same because God lives and dwells among us. We need to not give up meeting together because it's within the community of faith that we understand the reality of what it means to live a life of kingdom. We need to not give up exploring scripture together and sharing stories of faith. Don't forget to challenge one another when one another's focus gets skewed away from Christ. But then when you're challenged, don't get so offended that you run away. Sort out your differences. Make Christ your king. Look to Christ. If Christ is our king, we need to live like people who've been reconciled. Acknowledge that we are part of something new. We're part of something amazing, something that is changing and is going to change the world. Amazing king or dull king, amazing king we have. As we live like people who've been taken from darkness to light by our king, then we need to bring the Christ light wherever we go. We learn from our servant king that this means going to places where we wouldn't normally go and being prepared to change 
as we encounter the work of Christ in the darkest of places. We need to not get too comfortable. We need to keep doing new things because these things won't just happen. We need to keep serving others and keep bringing that Christ light wherever we go. Going back is not an option. Forward is the way. If Christ is our king, whole life faith comes first in everything. Not fear or selfishness, not greed or comfort. Not that one issue that we um, we got in our soapboxes about and have made bigger than it should be, but Christ. This is the king who in his majesty dwells among us. This is Christ who taught us to love first and to keep on loving. This is Christ our king and we bow down to him. Let's pray together.